This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for Episode 25 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. You're likely familiar with the phrase, know your enemy. The idea being, the more you know about your adversary, their motivations, methods, and capabilities, the better advantage you'll have when it's time to defend yourself. In cybersecurity threat intelligence, we speak of threat actor tactics, techniques, and procedures, or TTPs. TTPs can come from a variety of sources, including open source, darknet, scanning and crawling, and others. But in order to turn the raw data from TTPs into actionable intelligence, you need to know how to set your priorities based on your organization's needs. Joining us once again to help make sense of all of this is Levi Gundert, Vice President of Intelligence and Strategy at Recorded Future. Stay with us. TTPs stand for Tactics, Techniques, and Procedures, and they're typically referenced when we're talking about adversary behaviors. They're very different from static indicators, indicators of attack or indicators of compromise. TTPs are really higher-level behaviors that evolve over time, and they're harder to identify and track, but they're also much more lucrative for defenders in terms of thinking through how an attacker operates and and what it means in terms of risk for the business. So let's dive into that some. In terms of the value of TTPs, take us through what makes them valuable. Well, TTPs are are essentially methodologies and and oftentimes they're they're tied to actors and sometimes it's important to know background on an actor and adversary because motivations oftentimes inform methodologies. But it's not super important to necessarily understand the name and the address of an actor and adversary. It's really more important to understand generally who they are and and why they exist and, and what motivates the behavior. But it's really the behaviors themselves that are most interesting from a defensive perspective because you can track these behaviors over time and watch evolutions and really understand how the the impact you know affects the the business and what that could mean in terms of monetary loss and so you know if you see actors who are for example using a particular type of tool for pre-exploit activity or post-exploit activity and they're developing it themselves that's the type of ttp that that defenders watch very closely Um, Similarly, if you have an opportunist who is in the underground economy and they're spending time looking for the right tools uh, for a specific type of of activity, just just that that act itself of, of looking for tools instead of developing tools themselves is, again, an important indicator to understand things like how sophisticated is the actor adversary. You know what? What is the intent and purpose? What is the history of their activity? Are they, are they targeting businesses in our industry vertical, or is it only other industry verticals? You know, and really, what what does this mean going forward? And so, uh, again, TTPs sometimes are are simple to articulate, but sometimes they're they're less simple. Sometimes it's a little bit harder to exactly define what a TTP is. I, I suppose you sort of have to fall back to the, the Supreme Court definition of I, I know it when I see it. You make the point that that one of the important things when dealing with TTPs is identifying your sources. Yeah, that that really is important. 
And I think in order to identify TTPs and, and to do that well, you know, whether it be a single data point or multiple data points that are sort of chained together over time, you really want the broadest information available uh, for that for the activity. And so it's not collecting data for the point of collecting data, but really, again, having the broadest and deepest collection available so that you can track TTPs uh, from multiple actors over time. And so, you know, in the in the end, if you talk to any intelligence professional, they'll tell you that they're never going to turn down data, uh, primarily because some of these actions are reactive. So when there's some sort of information security event, operational defenders are reacting to that event and, and they need uh, the deepest and, and the broadest data available, you know, to help them. Um, but similarly, proactively, when, when you're hunting for adversary TTPs, again, it's, it's very beneficial to have more data than, than less, of course. So in terms of identifying those sources, there are some broad classifications that, are, that you all generally use? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's really uh, six primary buckets that we think about in terms of, of data, and pretty much all all security data tends to fall into one of these six buckets when you're thinking about uh, adversaries and specifically TTPs. So the first one is the web and open source, and this is there's a vast amount of data across the web, obviously in in multiple different languages, everything from code repositories to page sites to blogs and forums, and there's just an overwhelming amount of information. But oftentimes, it's very, very useful, you know, just depending on the scenario. And the second bucket is really honeypots or darknets. So there's a lot of organizations that run these honeynets that are essentially uh, servers or even networks that are intended to be dark. So there should be no traffic destined for these boxes or networks. And so they capture everything uh, that that is inbound and log it. And obviously, those logs become a potentially useful source of information when thinking about TTPs, especially uh, precursors to attacks, new types of vulnerabilities, and exploit activity. Um, honeypots can be very, very advantageous if, if you have those resources available. Um, customer telemetry is really the third data bucket. And customer telemetry can be anything from your own internal log data coming off your, your network and host-based devices as well as telemetry provided by external third parties who have access to uh, different types of, of network telemetry or host-based telemetry and are willing to share or sell that. Um, the fourth bucket is really what we call scanning or, or crawling data. And this is really sort of um, proactive internet scanners. So these are organizations like Shodan that enumerate ports and services across the entire IPv4 space on the internet. Um, that type of data can also be very, very helpful uh, when you're you're correlating data points and trying to understand uh, bigger TTPs. And then the fifth bucket is malware processing. And malware processing is essentially taking malware samples and detonating them during runtime analysis or even uh, static analysis and taking those apart and storing that metadata for long-term use and, and correlation. And then the last bucket is really uh, closed source or what we call human relationships, where you have... Uh, actual actor engagement in some covert capacity where somebody is is pretending to be someone they're not in order to actively engage with uh, a specific actor online and elicit information from from that actor. So those are really the, the six uh, high-level buckets that we think all data really falls into. So for an organization trying to uh, to get started with this, what's the decision process for deciding to handle it internally or engaging with a vendor? Well, I think when you make an assessment about whether a vendor is the 
the right decision, you really want to dig into their sources. You Again, you really want to understand from those six high-level buckets where a vendor's data originates from, whether they originated themselves or whether they import some of that data from other companies or partners that they work with. So it's really important to drill down into the specifics on the how of the data. And then when you're thinking about your own requirements, it's it's important to think about the time and the resources that are going to be necessary to build that capability in-house. Depending on the size of the team and the size of the resources available and the size of the budget within the organization, you know, those are typically the constraints that tend to dictate whether a team is going to, to outsource to a vendor or try and build it in-house. And we often talk about here, particularly, you know, since our topic is uh, is threat intelligence, we talk about that notion of transforming information into intelligence. Um, how does that transformation apply to TTPs? Well, TTPs generally almost always require that human analyst component. So to your point, it's it's the act of analysis that is really transforming data into intelligence. And at this time, it's really human analysts that are required to do that. And, and so, you know, identifying TTPs uh, formally and tracking those typically requires that human analyst component, you know, that human brain to to do that work. And while, you know, we've come a long way in terms of, of machine learning and artificial intelligence, it's really still just a tool that can uh, better help and better inform those human analysts that are identifying TTPs and, and processing TTPs. Can you explain to me where do TTPs fit in in the overall uh, spectrum of information and malware fighting in an organization? Is, is it a is it a big part of what a typical organization would do? Is it a, a tool in in their toolbox? Where exactly should it fit in? Well, I think TTPs are really the tip of the spear in terms of of threat intelligence being able to inform risk for businesses and organizations. And if you think about TTPs as really higher level, higher order trends and behaviors. When when there's a new TTP or there's a change in TTPs, that really has to translate into impact. You know, what is, what does it mean in terms of impact and potential loss? What does it mean in terms of risk for the business? And what should the business be doing differently in terms of their decisions uh, around control spending? And you know, strategically, what what types of controls do they need? If you're not able to pull out those adversary trends at a higher level, if you're not able to um, translate those TTPs into uh, risk profiles, then it's not it's not super useful that activity. But but if you are, then it's really one of the most impactful things you can do for the business. Can you take us through some uh, some scenarios, some some examples of using TTPs? Sure. So, for example, if you're tracking denial of service trends and you see very typical behaviors when it comes to denial of service. You see typical sin floods and you see, you know, typical uh, botnets that are that are launching these types of attacks. Um, you're keeping up with other types of reflection or amplification attacks that are happening with Internet of Things devices. Right. So you see Mirai when when Mirai there was, you know, a, a fundamental shift in terms of the type of DDoS that was being generated and the impact of what it could achieve. Um, but even, you know, further still, if you drill down into, you know, trying to identify the actors behind Mirai, um, you know, you would you would come up with a, a profile and you're trying to understand, you know, the motivations behind it 
and even further still developing and understanding trends beyond Internet of Things and, and Mirai looking at you know other types of amplification or reflection that may use protocols based on UDP that haven't been seen in denial of service attacks yet, but that could be you know, theoretically could be anticipated because you're watching the trend, you're seeing how this is evolving, you know, therefore you could say that some of the protocols that are based on UDP will also be leveraged in future types of denial service attacks, you know, and so what that means for you as a business that has a certain type of important service running, you know, that relies on UDP could be used either in a denial service attack or you may be the victim of a denial of service attack based on your observations of other companies in your same industry vertical being targeted by a specific methodology or by a specific actor group, right? And so then that translates uh, to the business. If there's increased risk and you assess that there's increased risk because of this TTP monitoring, you would go to the business and have a conversation about whether increased spending is necessary on DDoS mitigation services, you know, outsourcing that sort of control whether that's something you could do in-house. Similarly, if you look at trends around something like post-exploitation tool sets, um, there's a lot of use right now currently on Windows systems. PowerShell and Mimikatz are, are very popular tools for post-exploitation persistence and lateral movement in an organization. Um, so again, looking at the, the higher level trend and asking yourself, you know, what does this mean in terms of impact for the business and, and what does it mean in terms of potential loss? If you assess that there is some severity there, then you would of course have that conversation around PowerShell specifically and whether you need additional controls and you know whether the, the business should be spending, right? If you think about the business decision to upgrade from potentially Windows 7 to Windows 10, is there a security argument to be made there because you get logging or more granular logging around PowerShell uh, activity on every host in the enterprise. There's obviously a, a business decision to be made there, but you know, threat intelligence can inform that decision based on the trends that are being observed in post-exploitation tool sets, especially you know, native tools that are already on Windows hosts. So once you get you know your TTPs program up and running, once you're collecting and analyzing your TTPs, um, what are your tips for reporting your findings to the rest of your organization? Yeah, again, I think it's really important that you have a process in place for translating well-defined TTPs into not only new operational controls or control rules that will immediately benefit the organization and impact security in a positive way, but also that you can translate those TTPs strategically in reporting form you know, to the executive team and really to the board. And again, in terms of risk and loss, making sure that you can talk in the language of risk, because oftentimes organizations don't understand security. They don't understand technology at the highest levels of the business, but they fundamentally understand risk. So uh, being able to, to translate a trend or a specific TTP, being able to translate what that means for the business strategically is so important, not only to give visibility to the threat intelligence products, but also really to, to benefit the business. And threat intelligence is one of these disciplines that really should be informing the entire security apparatus. And oftentimes it's just an afterthought. It's a checkbox for governance and compliance. Um, and really it doesn't help the business. It's, it's just sort of a waste of money. Um, but if it's out front and it's doing these things and actually uh, leading the, the security group in terms of where the controls are going and where the spending is happening from the business, 
then it's actually very impactful and very valuable for the business. Our thanks to Levi Gundert for once again joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. And remember to save the date for Our Fun, the sixth annual Threat Intelligence Conference, coming up in October in Washington, D.C., Attendees will gain valuable insight into threat intelligence best practices by hearing from industry luminaries, peers, and recorded future experts. The details are at recordedfuture.com slash rfun, that's R-F-U-N. We'll have a team there from the CyberWire podcasting from the event, so we look forward to seeing you there. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett, the show is produced by Pratt Street Media, with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.